0: Hello, and welcome to the Tarot to Go radio podcast. I'm Anastasia Hazler, Executive Director. Here with me today, Rose Red. Hi, everyone.
1: And Andrew,
2: hello.
0: And our very special guest, John Michael Greer. Yay!
2: <laughs> welcome, John Michael. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: Well, thank you for making time for us this morning. We really appreciate it. We know it's a little bit bright and early. So, uh,. Um, but uh, we're, we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I think. <laughs> I think. I think we are. As, as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as we can be at this time of day. So um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with John Michael Greer and haven't had the privilege of being in a workshop with him, um, John Michael is the author of oh so very many books. Uh, he is archdruid in the ancient order of druids in America. Um, he has a fabulous blog, which you should read at thearchdruidreport.com blogspot.com. And what else should we know about you, John Michael?
2: Um, I think you've covered most of the high points. <laughs> okay. um, I'm, I, I am kind of... I, everyone's met computer geeks, right? <laughs> right? I'm an occultism geek.
0: Ooh, I like that. I was spending,
2: I was spending my time, you know, when, when, when everyone else was uh, in their teens and so on, when everyone else was out there, you know... Uh, catching dates and catching drinks and things like that I was, I was one of those geeks in the library pouring through the sections of the, the, the shelves where your mom did not want you to go to <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of became a habit and I don't I don't know how many people have the experience of, of trying to ex- figure out how to explain to your junior high school uh, guidance counselor that you knew what you wanted to be when you grew up already it was going to be Gandalf <laughs> To, to somebody in that line of work, but I, I don't I, I don't claim to have achieved that childhood goal, but I've, done, I've given it an old college, the old college try.
0: Uh, uh, well, I, I just love to have seen the expression on your counselor's face.
2: <laughs>
0: well, and that, and the, who, who's Gandalf?
2: Yeah. Well, there's that, yes. And,
0: well, I don't know, at that point, wasn't everybody reading Lord of the Rings? I mean, my parents read
2: Lord of the Rings. Well, yes, mm-hmm. the, the thing, well, the thing is, um, about that point um this would have been in the in the mid 1970s mm-hmm. and everybody hip Read Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. but um, junior high school guidance counselors—I think they have—they have a hip filter or something. So <laughs>
3: yes, you know, <laughs> okay. if, if you were
2: with it at all, you don't get—you at least then you didn't get into that job. You had—if you were female—you had to wear at least a one-inch thick layer of makeup. Mm-hmm. If you were male, um, your—you know—your cultural education ended at 1964.
0: Yes, and, and you had to wear an unfortunate tie.
2: Yes. oh, very unfortunate.
0: Yes, yes, um, yes, yeah. We <laughs> were all in junior high at the same time. <laughs> so so, um, so, anyway, um, we most recently had the pleasure of seeing you at PantheaCon, and that, as always, was a delight. Indeed. Um, I got to see you Friday night in the Llewellyn offers panel, um, talking about um, relationship with deity, which was very really interesting. Um, audience members brought out several questions, which is, you know, I was sitting here at some point thinking, maybe you need to take this up with some sort of personal therapist instead of... An authors panel <laughs> and theacon, but you know, um, and then you did a couple of individual presentations as well, mm-hmm. which were fabulous. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, it's been reading your blog and thinking about your last workshops. i am also seeing you do uh, present on a a couple times at the San Francisco Barrio Tarot Symposium, Mm -hmm. um, where you were talking about geomancy, which I thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, It's like, oh, I've never actually known anybody to actually do it
2: before. Well, that's one of those things. I usually end up with the things that other people don't get into. Mm-hmm. I th- you, you, mu- you must have had, in, um, in wherever you grew up, and the- there would have been some little old lady down the road on whose doorstep every stray cat and every abandoned puppy ended up. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's been kind of my experience in the occult community.
3: <laughs> um, you know,
2: things show up on my doorstep. And uh, Geomancy was one of those. I got, I got interested in it quite early mm-hmm. um, within the Golden Dawn tradition, um, a sort of um, fragmentary, mutilated version of Geomancy. <laughs> one of the things you have to learn. And so I, I just, you know, I learned that as, as part of my Golden Dawn studies. Mm-hmm. And then when I ended up going to, you know, going to, going back to college, uh, returning to college to finish my degree and finally learn some Latin,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, one of the things I ran across in, of all things, in the university library in one of those dusty old stacks where, that your mom still doesn't want you to look at. <laughs> no matter how uh, old you are. And... Found this. It was a, it was a French book on, um, oh French, on geomancy, mm-hmm. and a scholarly book on the history of medieval geomancy. Da 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 da. And it had in tucked away in the back this Latin geomantic treatise.
4: Oh wow!
2: Um, and. By that time, I was able to pick my way through Latin, mm-hmm. and I was uh, I've, I've gotten better at it since then. But it was a matter of going through and going, holy hamburger! This is mm-hmm. not not only is this a completely different approach to geomancy, but it actually makes sense. <laughs> so I I picked my way through a translation of that mm-hmm. and proceeded to get very much into looking up other old manuscripts and so on on geomancy mm-hmm. and. Ended up realizing that there was this this complete, very detailed, very flexible, very powerful divination system that had basically been tipped into the trash about the time of the scientific revolution and that nobody was doing anymore.
3: Mm-hmm. Huh.
2: And so, um, well, I, I mean, I looked at that and said, well, you know, let's see if it works. Right. Well, it does. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: <laughs> and the next thing you knew, you had thing. gone from the doorstep to living in your living room.
2: It was, it was in my living room, <laughs> actually, within... In a certain period, I was shopping it around publishers, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they all said, "Geo, what?"
2: <laughs> well, actually, the first, um, the, 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 my first book on geomancy, which um, came out in '99, mm-hmm. the publisher was sufficiently unclear on it that they basically marketed to the to the broader, um, you know, bookstore community as um, Wiccan feng shui. <laughs> and, well um, no, i'm not a wiccan i mean I I, I I have nothing against wicca but i'm not a wiccan and i don't do feng shui and so they sold a whole bunch of copies to the bookstores and then the bookstores ended up sending them all back
0: and everybody was very confused about what had happened
2: everyone was very confused about what had happened so i brought out um a couple of years after that debacle finally um <clears throat> the, the rubble stopped bouncing basically mm-hmm. um i was able to place just a, a, a very small basic introduction to that um with renaissance mm, oh. and um, that's that's actually i think still available and then most recently just um just earlier this year the book on geomancy that i really wanted to write came out from wiser mm-hmm. and so that's that's now out there and i think i've i think i think i found a home for that particular puppy oh great
0: <laughs> so one, one, one less puppy running around your living room. One less
2: puppy running around the living room. Now i got to figure out what to do with the rest of the pack.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I suppose group adoptions
2: are in order. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fortunately. You know. They usually one
0: at a time <laughs> yeah publishers are like one thing at a time one very much time. So. i can only focus on yeah it's you No, know, it's i'm juggling a number of projects right now and mm-hmm. thinking why am i trying to do everything at once it's like oh right because everything needs to be done at once that's <laughs> <laughs> sure that works yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they won't take a number and just you know line up nice neat and orderly and wait till i get to them it's, it's yeah it doesn't work quite Not that way, yeah. that way. Um,
2: I, I find that with writing projects you almost have to force a number on them because, Mm -hmm. you know, the publisher, any given publisher is going to take a maximum of about one book every year or 18 months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And since, I mean, so I can kind of do one project and then do another project and then do another project knowing that I can, you know, I've I've got these time limits. No, I I can't do another book that, you know, very soon on this topic because I just did a book on a related topic and that publisher, they're happy, you know, they've got marketing to do Mm da-da-da-da-da down the road. So, but, yeah, of course. There's a bunch of other stuff that's yeah, yeah. unrelated to publishing that I also have to you yeah. know, find find um, puppy chow for. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and and then there's you know the laundry. The laundry needs attention. So, you know, <laughs> see, okay, I can do this. or I can do this. No, I'm going to do laundry today because if I don't, I can't leave the house tomorrow. And, you know, I get to the point where it's like, okay, please, if I don't do laundry tonight, tomorrow I'm either going to work in pajamas or a cocktail dress.
2: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and depending on your profession, I
0: suppose. Well, <laughs> you know, it depends on which client I'm going to. Someone might be okay with a cocktail dress, you know. But, um, but anyway, we, we, we've digressed. Um, so one of the things that I've really been enjoying is um, your ArchDruid report, your blog spot. Well, thank you. And um, it's, it's thought-provoking. I, I can't read it first thing in the morning. Um, because then what happens is I get distracted thinking about it all day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really need to focus on on what I'm supposed to be doing for my client during the day. Um, you know, whichever, whichever client I'm, I'm dealing with that particular day. And I was like, hmm. So if I'm thinking about peak oil, and no, I'm supposed to be thinking about, you know, reviewing this client's benefit program. seeing <laughs> 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 so if we can do more for
2: their employees. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Well, and, and unfortunately, at this point. We don't have enough employers who are thinking in those terms, and there are—I mean—there are going to be some sweeping changes, not only to benefit programs but to the economy, mm-hmm. to society in general. Mm-hmm. Nobody's taking that into account yet, no. and I'm afraid there's the, the fact that nobody is taking that into account is setting us up for some pretty spectacular disruptions down the road.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's, I was reading—I um, can't remember which post now—but um, earlier this week I had to do layoffs for a client. And, you know, it's, you know they, they did some layoffs about six months ago, and they let go some very expensive managers. And, you know, okay, fine, that work devolves down to the remaining line employees. Okay, you know, I, I get it. And, you know, managers are expensive, and stuff can be managed and this and that. But this time around, they were letting go line employees. And, you know, these people do not make hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, and and so the fact that they're cutting down into these, you know, more essential positions. I mean, one could say managers are essential because they do the big picture and they pilot the course and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, somebody's going to go in there every day and, like, enter the data and get stuff out. Mm -hmm. And now they're letting go. These people. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a more serious sign. Um, because yeah. it's like, well, now we're expecting the work to get done, again, by the remaining employees, but now there are fewer people who actually have the knowledge to do that work.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, there, are, the, there are a lot of companies that have embarked on that kind of death spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where I live in, in Ashland, Oregon, not far away, is the headquarters of one of these big, uh, well, it, it started out as a local car dealership, mm-hmm. and it expanded into a national chain. Wow. Okay, as, as, you know, credit was cheap. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to expand, you could always find 15 banks willing to fall over each other to hand you money. <laughs> right. Whether you could give them any reason to think you could ever pay it back or not. True. This national chain is now looking, is facing the possibility of um, contracting back to a single dealership. Wow. Because... Ouch. The market has just dropped out from underneath them. They can't they don't they no longer have access to credit Mm -hmm. to carry you know, to roll over their loans and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they've basically reached a point that they're they're looking at huge layoffs. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to one of their former employees who was cashiering at the local grocery store. Wow. Right. And the, you know, this is, the, there's a lot of this happening right mm-hmm, now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was
1: reading a thing in the paper recently, some big executive CEO is now delivering
2: pizzas.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, so. I'm, I'm,
2: I'm delighted to hear that. He's gotten on his job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. Doing something that, you know, creates value
2: in the world. Is, well, that's, that's the thing. Um, we, we created a culture in this country over the last 25 years um, of of blowing credit bubbles mm-hmm. where the the mystique of the CEO. Basically, people were being paid millions of dollars to look impressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to shake hands and to uh, come up with harebrained ideas that mm-hmm. they weren't actually coming up with <laughs> with some of the other staff. Right. And yet, these people were being paid fantastic amounts of money to basically loot their corporations, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is what which is what's happened. Right. And. Unfortunately, you know, this has hit, and now, you know, the economy, the bubbles have reached the point of uh, leaking so much air that no matter how much effort is being put into pumping air back into them, it doesn't seem to be doing much good. Mm -hmm. And so, um, unfortunately, this has hit just about the time that we really need to be able to pull together and make the changes in our society. Mm Mm-hmm. That are going to be made necessary by the depletion of, 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 of fossil fuels. The end of the age of cheap, um, abundant energy. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things, and this, this actually spirals back to why I was doing a talk on peak oil at a pagan convention.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, a lot of people were really surprised by that. They were like, well, that's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, it's very relevant.
2: Well, it, it, it was certainly weird enough um, that. It, I mean, I did not exactly have a full um, seminar room. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, it was Sunday morning at 9 o'clock a.m. and probably three-fourths of the, um, of, of the attendees were nursing, death-dealing hangovers about that time. <laughs> yes. But um, the, th- the thing is, we've reached a point where the big institutions in our society are not going to be able to make effective changes. Mm-hmm. They're too busy, I mean, the, the government and uh, state governments and big corporations and all these, these, these organizations to, that we've basically um, handed over the, you know, the, the role of making big changes in society, they're basically pouring what's yeah. left of their money and the credibility down a selection of rat holes. <laughs> yes. yes, And, you know, that's, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's, they, they're stuck in that mode. Nothing constructive is going to come out of that, mm-hmm. and so it's it's coming down to individuals and local communities, and the pagan community is the local community that, frankly, I know best. Okay. So it occurs to me that one thing that I can do, um, as as a druid, as a member of the, of that community, and as someone who's uh, quite unexpectedly ended up, um, you know, as, as a public figure in the peak oil scene, <laughs> I did not plan that. <laughs> uh, it's another another puppy story, <laughs> um, but. I have the opportunity to talk, to talk to people in the pagan community and say, look, first of all, this is something that's going to affect your life massively mm-hmm. in the years to come. It's going to affect the life of your grandchildren's grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And two, this is something that you and your coven or grove or temple or what have you can do something about. Mm-hmm. And nobody else is going to, so, or certainly nobody else is showing much sign of doing so right. at this point. So, you know, we might as well get off our doubts and start um, taking some kind of constructive action in this situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, I think it's very interesting because one of the things you point out is that as society deindustrializes, knowing how to do things like grow your own food, make your own clothes, being self-sufficient in ways that people haven't had to be for a couple of hundred years, if not longer. Um, and I, I used to be very involved in the Renaissance Fair and SCA community, and people would say, "Well, what's the point of learning how to do all that stuff? You could just, you know, go to the store and buy it." And I you know, was well, you know, I enjoy being able to do it. First of all, being able to create something is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and no. you have a pile of stuff and it turns into a beautiful dress or a shirt or, you know, a sculpture or something, that's, that's pretty cool to be able that's, to that's do. That's incredibly cool. It. Um, but then, you know, also, it's, you know, we live in California, earthquakes happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last major earthquake I was in, we were without power. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, our water was okay, but we were without power. But just being able to know how to do stuff and, like, having things like, a propane stove or knowing how to lay a fire. Mm-hmm. Very useful <laughs> skills all of a sudden. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Now, before we get too deep into this, let's just make sure that all our listeners kind of are on the same page. What do we mean by deindustrialization?
2: Okay, basically, the industrial mode of society, um, the, the, the way of producing goods and services and supplying human needs that, in the industrial world, we're all used to, you know, where basically raw materials are gathered from around the world, shipped to factories, um, shipped to to consumers. All of that is possible because we have we have had a huge amount of very cheap, very abundant fossil fuel energy. Sure. Uh, to get to get a cup of coffee onto your table in the morning, you've burnt barrels of oil, shipping, you know, growing coffee beans with with mechanized agriculture somewhere in, in you know, Peru or something, mm-hmm. shipping it thousands of miles to a port um, uh, you know, and then to a factory where it's roasted and then um, to the warehouse which could be several states away and then to the um, store which could be more states away from there, and then you finally drive three blocks to your grocery store <laughs> and, and you know, pick it up. up.
1: As we all look guilty at the uh, Starbucks
2: Rappuccinos mm-hmm. we have before us. Okay, <laughs> I have,
0: I, I have it's ground from beans. Okay,
2: well, so. there so we go. Um, this way of dealing with things is only possible because we've got these fossil, we've been using these fossil, fossil fuels, fuels, and the fossil fuels are non-renewable. Right. Right. We have burnt through most of the world's supply at this point, and we're facing a, the, we're facing a situation, not that we're going to run out all at once, but that we're no longer able to produce at the rate that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And so this means that this energy supply that we've counted on, that makes our lifestyles possible, is going away just at the time that other people around the world, people in India, people in China, people in many other places, are saying, hey, I want my share. Right. So what this, we're in a situation right now where the average American uses, in a year, as much energy as three Europeans or 20 Chinese. Wow. Okay. A, we yeah. we in the United States use one third of the world's resources,
0: and we do not have one third of the world's people.
2: No, no. we have five percent of the world's people. Mm-hmm. So what this means is that if everything were to be balanced out equally, all of us would be facing an eighty percent pay cut,
0: which is wow. Which, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. People don't tend to think that way. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the kind of thing we need to think about. First of all, you know, we're no longer in a. We're, we are rapidly. Approaching a point where we can no longer maintain a monopoly over a third of the world's resources. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the resources themselves, the crucial ones, the fossil fuels and the other non-renewable resources, are going away because we've been using them at a breakneck pace for centuries now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're facing a point where all of us are going to have to make do, not just with a little less, but with an incredibly, large amount less. Mm-hmm. And that means, among other things, that this entire industrial mode of production, this this system that ships raw materials and, and finished products literally around the world and that uses huge amounts of energy to convert raw materials into finished products so they can go to your store so you can drive three blocks to buy them, um, this, isn't gonna, this is not going to last. This is going to go away. And that means that we will be replacing a lot of this fossil fuel, a lot of the products of these fossil fuel energies, either with stuff we do by hand or in many cases with nothing at all.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So that's deindustrialization. That's, we're basically seeing, in some sense, a return to society as it exists before humanity figured out how to break into the world's fossil fuels. I hope we can preserve some of the better achievements of the last three years. 300 year long spree mm-hmm. that were made possible by, by fossil fuels but that's only going to happen if we get our get our tails in gear and actually get to work trying to preserve things
0: mm-hmm. uh-huh. if you had if, if, if you were emperor of the world and could make those choices what would you choose
2: to preserve um printing presses yay I think the printing press is a brilliant invention it can be made repaired and operated by hand mm-hmm. with handmade paper and it just it It massively increases the society's um, potential for communications, um, for the preservation of knowledge and information. It's one thing to try to preserve knowledge when what you've got are handwritten manuscript books. Mm Mm-hmm. And to make a copy is going to involve somebody months of labor. It's another thing when you can sit down with a printing press and, you know, set the type, mm-hmm. take a few days at that, and then run off 200 copies. Mm-hmm. Chunk, chunk, one sheet at a time. Right. Um, another thing that I'd like to see preserved is radio. Yeah. Um, Broadcast radio is one thing, and that may not be economically feasible, but Mm -hmm. there's a whole world of person-to-person radio in the amateur radio community. Mm -hmm. True. Um, And the technologies can be done on a very, very simple basis. Um, It is, is in fact, true that a a late medieval alchemist or um, somebody in, oh, you know, 15th century imperial China could have built a radio if they had the knowledge, mm-hmm. they had the technology. Mm-hmm. So it's something we could preserve a long way down. I feel strongly enough about this that I actually went and did the necessary study and got myself a ham radio license. Oh, cool! And I'm currently putting together the, the you know um, the equipment for a station. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this is something the, the ability to talk over long distances mm-hmm. to maintain some kind of communication network around the world. Mm-hmm is, I think, very crucial. Mm -hmm. It's something that could really enrich people's lives for for many, many centuries down the road. And I'd like to see that one saved. Mm -hmm. Now, and of course, there's a lot of other examples. Organic organic farming. Mm -hmm. We've actually developed, in the last century or so, um, systems of farming that are in many ways more sophisticated than just about anything else that has ever existed. Um, Organic intensive growing at this point can get very sizable crops, crops equal or better than chemical agriculture, mm-hmm. um, and, and steadily improve the soil rather than degrading it. Right. That's an amazing treasure. I think when people look back from the year 3000 or whatever they call it then <laughs> um, and say, well, what did the 20th century produce that was really worth worthwhile, that really had value? My guess is organic farming is going to be at the top of the list mm-hmm. because we have really it, that was really perfected over the over the, during during the course of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the things. And the thing is, it doesn't take them somebody being emperor of the world to preserve these. Right. It takes individuals deciding they're going to take you know these particular stray puppies mm-hmm. and give them a home mm-hmm. and you know keep them fed and dewormed and everything until <laughs> they grow up to be big, strong, healthy dogs.
0: Right. Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting. Um, is in San Francisco, and in, in the area, there are now at least three services that I'm aware of um, that do one of two things, or some of them do both. Um, one is a service that goes around and if you have fruit trees,
3: mm-hmm. they
0: will harvest them for you. Mm-hmm. Because you know, people are like, like, eh, I don't want to deal with it and whatever, and it just falls to the ground and rots and attracts bugs and whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it's, they go around on their bicycles, which I think is cool, mm-hmm. and harvest all this fruit, and then, um, depending on which organization they are, they either donate it to the various um, food, food, charity, food banks, mm-hmm. um, or they um, take it to farmers markets and sell it and whatever, and raise money to keep their operations going, mm-hmm. um, which I think is brilliant, because, you know, it's even in my neighborhood, we've got people with these gigantic fruit trees, and it's like, eh, I don't want to deal with it. You know, I need to sit on the couch and, you know, watch my TV or, you know, it's, it's I, I need to go to the country club
2: or whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: Or, you know, some people are just too busy. They're exhausted. They're you know, working all week and the last thing they want to do on Saturday is get a ladder and climb a tree.
2: Have you noticed that with every stage in, in the, quote, labor-saving devices, people have had less time and less energy? Mm -hmm. It's because the device is... Every device embodies energy. Mm -hmm. You have to work for it. Mm -hmm. And so if you factor in the amount of time you have to work to pay for the device, it's not saving you any labor. Yeah, Well,
0: it's... And then, you know, to to purchase it and then to maintain it Mm -hmm. and to repair it if something goes wrong. As something
2: certainly will or to throw it out and buy the next one in our disposable economy.
0: It's it's actually... It's funny. I I don't know if you read the, the... newspaper comics at all, Um, but Baby Blues actually had that this week, where all their appliances went sporing on the same day, (laughs) because the warranty just expired on all of them, and I thought, you know, this would be funnier if it weren't so true. Exactly.
2: When Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, there Mm -hmm. was an old man in the neighborhood. Um, He had a little storefront in this... um not, not even really quite a shopping center. It was a, there was a big grocery store and a a, a line of storefronts and kind of a proto strip mall. <laughs> and there was this, this little storefront where one of this this old guy in the neighborhood he ran um, a small appliance repair shop. How quaint. And, you know, he, if your toaster went sparring... You took it down there and, mm-hmm. you know, put on, put on the, the bifocals and look at that and open it up and say, okay, well, it's going to take me about, it's going to take me three days to get the parts and then it's going to cost, you know, $15 mm-hmm. or what have you, you know, right. probably much less than that, mm-hmm. but, you know, this is, this is 1970s prices. A lot of the kids from the neighborhood would love to take the toasters down there because, you know, there was the counter mm-hmm. and then there were these shelves of mysterious devices Components and books and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, we we don't have those anymore because it's been you know energy has been so cheap that it, you just have one another one made in China and ship it to you. Mm-hmm. We are going to see, I think, a return to a situation where small appliance repair people are going to be needed again. Mm-hmm. Um, note to our listeners: if you're looking for a, a post-economic collapse career, it might not be a bad place to start.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny, I um. I take my shoes in and get them resold. Excellent. Yes.
2: It, so do I.
0: It's, it's, um, and you know, I talked to John, who's been doing this for me for years, mm-hmm. and um, he says he has seen an increase in people doing this now. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's, it's the last you know five seven years, not much, but mm-hmm. suddenly people are like, well, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you mm-hmm. I put a new heel on this?
2: Are, are you going to spend a hundred twenty dollars on a new pair of shoes or forty bucks on a new sole?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, it's it's. Well, you know, my shoes were thirty dollars. News. So. Oh,
2: well, there you go. I hope you're not paying forty bucks for a new sole. No,
0: no, no. Well, there you go. It's, it's, um, but still, but it, but it's interesting. Just the the change in people's mm-hmm. behavior patterns, um, just in little ways, but they have these larger economic mm-hmm. impact. Um, but um, oh, but the, we were talking about organic gardening. Just. Backing up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, there is another um, group of companies in the area, and you know each one's operated by a very plucky entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and um, they will garden in your backyard for you, uh-huh. and you get a share of the produce, and then you contribute the rest and it's sold at farmers markets or donated mm-hmm. to food banks or whatever. And I was like, wow, that's perfect, mm-hmm. because if you're busy slaving away your job, and you've got this yard, and you would like to have fresh vegetables, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about doing this because I'm never home, but I have. You know, a little teeny tiny patch of dirt in our backyard. Mm-hmm. It's not huge, but you know, it's enough to grow you know some carrots or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, make the local rabbits happy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds um, like
1: almost a return to the mm-hmm. old uh, sharecropping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
0: know. well, it, sort of. Um, but you know, they they show up and they do the weeding and the mm-hmm. planting and the whatever and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, huh, you know, this might actually work because I'm not home enough mm-hmm. to do anything. I mean, you know, if somebody looked at my backyard right now they go, oh, my God, this is feral. <laughs> it is, it, you know, aside from, you know, the winter overgrowth, it's just, it has gone completely feral. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure if the neighborhood children went back there, they'd probably get eaten by something. <laughs> Um, I don't know. We have large unidentified plants that I swear make noises and move on their but, um, but you know, but a service like that mm-hmm. is brilliant um, because everybody I know, you know, everybody's still tight on money, but people are still tight on time. Uh-huh. Right? And it's like I don't have the time, but I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of years ago, the answer to that was, you know, having a personal concierge. She would pick up your dry cleaning or whatever. Um, you know, which is like, oh, that's not a bad thing either. Um, but something with a much more practical, you know, actual tangible product, which is you come home and there's a pile of organic veggies.
2: Well, the, the other thing that, we're gonna, that I think we're going to see a lot of is situations like this where people are finding the the undeveloped niches within the economy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We have been able to get by with so much waste for so long that there's a huge range of opportunities present that nobody's really looked for. a very different example, but it, it embodies the same kind of logic. Um, a huge number of um, industrial plants, for example, have furnaces that produce a lot of heat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they, you know, they have like blower fans to vent the heat out into the air or something because. Nobody, it's just waste. It's, just, right. no, it's an annoyance. You can take that heat. Let's say you take that furnace and you run water pipes around it, um, which turn water into steam. You send the steam to a turbine. You generate electricity. It's called cogeneration. Ooh. Okay. Um, it's something that people are just taking baby steps into now. It could produce a huge amount of electricity. Yeah. Okay. But nobody's thought in those terms. Because Cheap for so long. Mm-hmm. Now that it's now that it's moving away from being cheap.
3: More, mm-hmm.
2: m- more, more specifically, now that we're getting wild volatility. Right. You know, all of a sudden, having something more stable. You know, we've got the furnace. We've mm-hmm. got the heat. Let's put in the steam turbine and power the factory lights off it. And maybe sell some to the local. Utility, right. All of a sudden, that makes a lot more sense. Okay. And it's the same kind of thing. It's looking at resources that are being wasted now because we haven't had to be frugal. We haven't had to be prudent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and also, uh, this is something where I think the, the pagan community has a certain advantage to kind of cycle back to that thing. On the one hand, I don't know a lot of rich pagans.
1: Mm, no. Very few. I, have, I have met a couple <laughs>
2: And, you know, in many, in many cases, they're sweet people. Many of them didn't start out that way, but they, you know, they got into something or other that happened to be very successful. Right. Uh, I know a fair number of wealthy pagan computer geeks, but they certainly didn't start out that way. No. Um, but most pagans certainly don't have a lot of money. Most pagans also aren't that worried about... Um, Keeping up with the Joneses, doing what you're supposed to do in society, mm-hmm. you don't put a pentagram around your neck if that's something you worry about. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think people in the pagan community may be very well um, positioned to look for these alternative niches, look for the backyard gardening things, look for the um, the, the things that people aren't because they don't have time, mm-hmm. and one of the things that um, that you tend to discover when you start working for yourself rather than working for a company, um, the company is taking most of the value of your labor. Yes, it's not going to you. No, it's going to the shareholders. It's going to the executives who are getting their million dollar bonus mm-hmm. before okay. shaking hands and, and looking good in, in you know a Brooks Brothers suit, <laughs> And uh, what have you. <clears throat> When you're working for yourself, you're getting all the value that you produce. Mm-hmm. So, and so most of the people I know that are doing very well are not working for anybody else.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We need to get back to that entrepreneurial consciousness, not entrepreneurs in the sense of, I'm going to talk the, um, the bank into loaning me $10 million, which I will then go blow on something useless and pay myself okay. a large salary in the meantime. Right. But actually people working with their hands mm-hmm. to produce goods and services that people want mm-hmm. you know that's, that that used to be how the economy operated it 's how the economy will be operating again as the as the rubble. Mm-hmm. From the recent, for me, the, the current ongoing, I should say, economic collapse, and mm-hmm. he to bounce, and finally finally comes to rest. Yeah. And I think that's something that people in our community can really start thinking about. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's also interesting because, you know, not every pagan I know, but a lot of pagans I know are into some sort of handcraft mm-hmm. art sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's you know I have a friend who makes chainmail, and it's it's not a full living for him, but he is able to supplement his day job with that, mm-hmm. which means he has the flexibility to work a day job that is not particularly demanding, mm-hmm. that he enjoys, mm-hmm. and it's rewarding. Um, but it doesn't suck his soul dry, mm-hmm. and you know he's not dead when he gets home from work. He has energy, he's mentally alert, and he can do other things that he enjoys and spend time with his family. And it's like, oh, that's kind of neat. um, One of the
2: things I'd like to see, I mean a lot of people do handicrafts in the pagan community, a lot of people do art and things like that. We haven't had a lot of people paying attention to the the sort of crafts that people used to make a living at. Right. Okay. It's one thing it's you know, it's one thing to um, you know, to do to do paintings or what have you. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to make things. Right. And I think if we, can, if we can start as a community moving our creative energies into producing goods and services that people want mm-hmm. and need, mm-hmm. that um, we could do extremely well by that, that sort of crafty quality. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I also think it's interesting that um, while people are cutting back on things, mm-hmm. and so like hair salons and nail salons and things are reporting a slowdown, mm-hmm. people who do massage therapy and other sort of stress-relieving therapies... Mm-hmm. Are not having a significant drop, that, that, at, that, at least in the Bay Area. I, I that, mean, that, this, is what,
2: this is what I've heard also. <laughs> um, it also depends on how much your service costs.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, the, um, the higher the higher end your hair and nail salon is, the more your um, um, clientele is dropping to the floor. Yes, yeah. and a lot. I don't know a lot of really high end masseurs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're doing it very nicely. I also, um, curiously, mm-hmm. everybody I know who's involved in the divination business, mm-hmm. um, they're having no shortage.
0: It's... it's, it's You know, I, I have to say that, you know, uncertain times, as difficult as they are, mm-hmm. people want answers. People want answers. And they want a reading of some kind. Mm-hmm. Generally
2: speaking, the occult community does very well during economic contractions. Yeah.
0: It's... Um, actually, we just uh, opened a reading space. Well, there you go. Um, and... I'm anticipating that it will um, take care of itself very soon <laughs> because, you know, people, are, you because know, we always, you know, we get calls. Well, do you do private readings? It's like, yeah, but we don't have a private space and, you know, we can meet at your house, blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, well, no, we have a place and, you know, it's available 24-7. So if somebody. Sweet. Um, but, yeah, because, I, you know, we started getting more and more requests for private readings. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I am a fairly intelligent human being. I can translate this into, you know, a positive business action here. <laughs>
2: It sounds like, I mean, yeah, you, there's a market. Mm-hmm. People want a certain service. They're willing to pay for it, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's how the economy works.
0: And they're well, willing to pay a reasonable price for it. Uh-huh. That's the thing, because I, I know somebody who has a, a private practice in one of the wealthier counties here in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and she has not adjusted her prices. Oh, dear. And she is suddenly doing less business, and she doesn't know what the problem is. And I was trying to explain. I said, you know, look, it's, people are not going to pay you know, well, I'm worth that. You know, your service is only Power. worth what people that, that, are willing that, to pay. That <laughs>
2: phrase, I'm worth that. That's, that is a phrase that is going to be excised out of the American vocabulary. Oh, I hope so. Simply Simply because people who cling to that belief are going to crash and burn mm-hmm. repeatedly. Yeah. You're worth what people are willing to pay you for.
0: Exactly.
2: Okay. And... America has, as a, as a nation, as a society, has this, you know, we're worth it. Well, no, we're worth what we contribute.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And at this point, at, I mean, what does America actually produce except for IOUs?
0: TV shows. TV shows. <laughs> TV
2: shows. Well, I, I'll pass on that one. I haven't to television since 1980.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's you and me both. People keep saying, have you seen this? It's like, I don't know on television. <laughs> Well, why not? Uh, because I have other things to do with my time. Yeah, you
2: know. I, mean, I, I don't have a television. I have a life. Deal with. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I read books. Um, oh, my God.
2: Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's confusing. <laughs>
1: and they're not on the computer. That's my, ugh. Yeah,
0: no, but,
2: no, that, that that gives me headaches. And even if it didn't, I, you know, I like books that are still going to be there when the hard drive makes crunchy noises.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's it's been your, your blog post, you know, Genji and the Printing Press. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, it, you know, it's kind of been like if you still have to think about it, yes, it makes sense, and we probably all had vague thoughts in that direction at some point or other, um, but you put it so succinctly.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, da- data mm-hmm. in digital forms is very transient. Yes, it is. And, you know, we, we're, we're, we are potentially at a situation where, you know, a, any kind of really long interruption of power or spare parts, you know, there all the many things that could go wrong, could lose an enormous amount of, of our society's total information base. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And then what
2: happens? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, although I, I do find it interesting that you know here we are talking about you know deindustrialization and dependence on fossil fuels and this and that and you know we're relying on all this electrically powered technology oh, to I do know. this and to do our blogs and you know to reach our listeners and everything else. It's like mm-hmm. okay, the irony is not lost on me. Um, mm-hmm. Noted. No. Um, yeah. And but and Just
1: think if we could hook up a pedal bicycle to power those computers, how much weight we could lose.
0: I guess
1: <laughs> Creating our own,
2: creating our own energy.
0: I'd be, I'd be in such great
2: shape. <laughs> well, this is one of the one of the reasons I think we're going to see a resurgence. Um, in the near term, we're going to see a resurgence of local radio. Mm-hmm. And I would I would encourage you to look into the possibility of whether you know a small small scale AM or anything like that. Something like that in the community might be worth checking out. Hey, we have
0: a office. Because there's is. a
2: lot of you know um, it, the technology's that not that expensive. You're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to have programming over a substantial, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. but it's something that up until not that long ago was a major channel by which people got a lot of their information, a lot of their entertainment. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that, um, you know, it's, it's probably, as, as with so many other things, the wave of the past may also be the wave of the future. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so much stuff out there that's been recorded that we're going to lose if we don't. Continue to share it. I mean, or, it's or find another way to store it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think it's a great idea. Is to go back to radio. I mean,
0: okay. Yeah. Put it on the to-do list. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Add that to my to-do list, if you would please, Rose. Um, okay. Wrote, 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 in, in addition to everything else, Rose is um, my mm-hmm. my fabulously organized assistant and keeps track of things for me. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, I come up with all these ideas and she writes them down and then. I put them on my to-do list, and then eventually something happens. But... We poke each other and go, yeah. hey, did we do
2: that? <laughs> no, 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 you know, you can look, look into the possibility. I think one of, the, one of the things that, one of the advantages of the current economic contraction is that there aren't going to be a lot of uh, big corporate interests, you know, gobbling up chunks of the airwaves or what have you. Mm-hmm. And generally, there are going to be a lot of holes opening up. Mm-hmm. And somebody who's willing to fill those holes with sweat equity. There you go. And with you know, with with just being in the right place at the right time, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some major things I would love to see um, taking communities around the country where there's enough concentration of people to support a radio station or something like that. Actually, getting small-scale AM or you know, local radio stations. Mm -hmm. You know, there there are some very rare things that are very difficult to get. my wife is a fiddler, mm-hmm. and she likes, she plays a lot of Celtic music. I was able to find a collection of old Welsh music from the 1790s. Oh, wow, oh, wow. wow. Picking up a copy of that on the used book market is uh, a little pricey, but mm-hmm. you can download it from Google Books yeah. and then print out the music. There you go. So, okay. there we are. so, yeah, basically, we've got a range of possibilities open. And generally, I think people who are there at the right time or who are simply willing to do things with sweat equity, with, um, with their own labor, their own imagination, their own resources, and the resources of their community, rather than relying on these immense um, structures that, that we've kind of replaced our communities with, mm-hmm. um, they're going to be able to accomplish a huge amount. And again, that's something the pagan community, the magical community, various other small communities within our society are very well positioned to get into. Right.
0: Uh, Partner also, I think, is just they are accustomed to working together as a group for the benefit of the group rather than for the individual glory. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are exceptions. There's certainly no shortage of egos. (laughs) But, you know, except for, you know, with a few egregious exceptions that leap to mind. Most people are pretty good about, well, okay, but it's important that we accomplish this as a group. I will claim my share of the glory. Uh, But but they, 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 they get the, you know, we will work together as a group to make whatever happen. And I think that's very valuable. And in my day job, I do human resources consulting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, employers are always, well, how can I get my employees to work better together? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, well, you know, do your employees like each other? Do they know each other? Mm -hmm. You know, why are these people working together? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a random collection of personalities, um, each of whom has a different skill set, different attitude, different... You know, cultural background, frame of reference, how do you get all these people to focus together to achieve a common goal, which is making the business profitable so everybody has a job next week?
2: And, and yeah, and do they actually see any benefit to themselves in working together for, for the greater glory of the company? Mm-hmm. Um, back in the days before I, I was able to become a full-time writer, I, I worked in a lot of various jobs, and it was remarkable how many employers had this idea that loyalty was a one-way street. Mm-hmm. that of course they, they, you know, they expected people to be loyal to their jobs and work hard and work together and make things happen so that the employer would become rich right? at minimum well the employees were getting minimum wage and mm-hmm. they ended up endlessly frustrated by the fact this didn't happen so it's one of the one of the advantages that we have in, in the pagan community again is that we have a lot of people well we don't have a lot of employers
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's pretty much all voluntary if you want the, if you want to have an equinox ceremony you know, nobody's going to pay for that.
3: No. <laughs> and
2: so everybody's got to work together to, you know, get the stuff get everything in place to mm-hmm. actually do the thing. Right. Knowing that, you know, um, Belton is not that far away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, yeah. Um, we, we don't have, we, we have not had the resources to build the kind of culture of, of um, I'm worth it mm-hmm. that... Um, <laughs> has had, you know, the, the executives at AIG who are basically looting the company. Yeah. Uh,
1: you
2: know, they're destro- the, This company is bankrupt and they're pillaging it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you no, know, Even though they're basically cutting their own throats in the long run. They're mm-hmm. destroying the system that gives them their wealth, their authority, their influence in society because all they can look, on, look at is their immediate short-term gain. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think that's what you're talking about. That's that's really one of the key things is the, the mindset of, you know, I'm in this for myself. I'm going to leave with as much as possible,
2: you know, I. Yeah. yeah. We that, need to get away from that. We need to that, learn. Yeah, that's how societies crash and burn. Mm-hmm. That's how societies go down in flames when nobody is actually willing to commit anything to the society's survival because they're too busy lining their own pockets. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so it's just it's it's perpetuating itself and it's not going anywhere fast. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is why, again, down at the grassroots is where any constructive change has to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. um, When people say, oh, the government will fix it, or oh, this will fix it, or that will fix it, it's like, okay, if these are the people who got us into the mess, we expect them to get us out. And more importantly, it's, you know, certain mass changes are necessary, but, you know, just like the government cannot legislate morality, the government cannot legislate environmental consciousness or responsible behavior and people have to do that one on one they have to decide no I'm going to make more and consume less yeah. you know I'm going to be more aware of how my choices affect my environment or you know if I choose to buy this instead of that I'm supporting you know enforced labor versus a local artisan mm-hmm. and a lot of people just you know aren't aware or don't want to be aware
2: mm-hmm. well and, it's been it's been very comfortable not to be aware
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know and i mean you know i have days where you know, it's, it's, you, you, you kind of get too wrapped up in your own head about it. It's like, well, okay, I want this, but if you eat that, then I'm doing this. But I should buy this because then it's this, and, and you know, three hours have passed, I still haven't figured out what to eat for lunch, and I'm tired and cranking my blood sugar's low. And it's like, okay, at that point, just eat something and get on with your day. <laughs> and I think a lot of people feel, you know, fatigued by having to sort out, well, what is the right choice to make? And, you know, well, I don't want to have to make the right choice. I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to, you know, eat what I feel like.
2: And, and we've had the freedom to do that because mm-hmm. we've been we as a society have been, have been so rich and so powerful for so long we haven't had to care mm-hmm. One of the le- one of the things that I'm trying to point out, one of the lessons if you will of our present situation is that well actually we do have to care and we're reaching a point where the consequences of not caring are going to become increasingly impossible to miss-hmm
0: well, and, and hard to ignore. And,
2: mm-hmm. how and personal much? and direct and painful.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and also we haven't encouraged our, you know, people coming up in the world to be considerate of these things either.
2: Okay, well, there's that. And yeah.
1: that's that's going to also get us in the end as well at this mm-hmm. point. And we're seeing that slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. And Because, again, as you said, you know, during the 70s, we were starting to do that, and then we stopped. Mm-hmm. And it became a, oh, me, me, me society, mm-hmm. where now it's... Realizing, oh wait, maybe we shouldn't have
2: done that. Yeah, and unfortunately, at this point, the I mean, there's still a lot we can learn from the um, the appropriate technology and the conservation movements and so on of the 1970s. But the hope that that could enable us to make a smooth transition to the the de-industrial age, that went out with Ronald Reagan's inauguration. (laughs) (laughs) exactly, I mean, that was the point where America basically decided to close its eyes and cover its ears and go, nah, 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 I can't hear you. Right. To the world that was saying, look, your lifestyles are... I mean, when when Dick Cheney said to you, the American way of life is non-negotiable, in a bizarre way, he was right. No possible negotiations at this point could preserve it. Right. It's gone, it's over. It is history mm-hmm. we just it's just it's you know sort of it's like a dinosaur that has had its, its head blown off and is still walking for some <laughs> period until it finally realizes that it's dead and falls and falls over
0: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Oh, and but you know it's it's what a, people say well it's about me and it's like yes and it's about the choices you make and you need to be aware of those choices mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, but the whole I'm worth it thing. And it's like, yeah, you're worth it, so buy yourself some hair color, okay? Have <laughs> a cookie. You know, it's. it's make a cookie. Um, make, make your
1: own cookie. There you yeah,
0: go. Yeah. Grow your own damn wheat and buy, make your own cookies. Um, yeah, okay. Maybe not have to go that far. But, um, but, but you just. You buy
2: local. Yeah. Um, and you can
0: certainly buy local.
2: Yeah. You can certainly do things in the non. Market economy, mm-hmm. the, the the economy of exchange of you know personal exchange mm-hmm. and friendships and networking and so on. Mm-hmm. A lot of cookies used to pass from hand to hand that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And generally, we've we've put way too much into the market mm-hmm. and way too little into the social networks that used to we used to produce huge amount of the goods and services that people actually used on a daily basis.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, when I um, many, many years ago I became certified as a massage therapist mm-hmm. and one of the basic rules about doing body work of any kind, not just massage, mm-hmm. is you need body work yourself on mm-hmm. a very regular basis so that you don't get all twisted and strained and, and, and bent as you're working with all these people and helping them release their energy. Mm-hmm. And you know, but of course you're busy working so you never have time. So you mm-hmm. get together with other massage therapists and do exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that was really fabulous um, because, you know, the expectation was you would, you know, it's you would give your best and the other person's giving their best. Mm -hmm. And it's not, well, you know, I'm supposed to do a 45 minute for this person, but it's 43 minutes and I'm done. It's like, no, you do all 45 minutes and you do your best possible because, you know, they're going to do the same thing for you. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And that's that's where you start getting. The building of actual community. That's where you start getting the exchange, the, the patterns of exchange that go completely beyond market calculations, and it stops being about me, 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 and becomes, you know, the, the community is an organism. The community mm-hmm. is the basic unit of human survival, not the individual. And the people who are convinced that it's all about me have not noticed that their existence depends intimately. On the support of other people, and they may not be able to count on that support for that much longer. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it starts becoming about us.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Well, I think we've.
1: Well, this has been fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Thank you so much for your time. This has been fabulous. Any, any, parting words of wisdom or suggestions for our listeners? Well, I
2: think the thing that I would that I would suggest for the listeners is to. Um, Take a look in their own lives and in their own talents, whether or not they developed those in their own interests, in their own beliefs and the things that matter to them. Build your life out of those things, not the junk that's poured into your brain, by the media, mm-hmm. not the, the expectations that people are laying on you. You can't afford that anymore. You've actually got to make your own life. You've actually got to become individual at this point, and not as in the life of Brian, you know, yes, we are all (laughs) individuals, 50,000 people all in unison. Um, You know, we... We don't have the luxury, or we are rapidly losing the luxury, of just coasting along doing what our society expects us to do, mm-hmm. including when that our society expects us to rebel in uh, very specific conformist ways. <laughs> um, we actually have to buckle down and figure out individually, who are we? Mm-hmm. Who are we as individuals? What can we do? What can we offer? Mm-hmm. What can we ask for? What can we bring to the party what? that is a community? And, you know... If you don't, if you don't bring a, if you don't bring the potluck dish, they're not going to let you in the door. <laughs> and so, this this is some this is a place where we need to start by paying attention, by learning about who we are, by gaining that self knowledge. Mm-hmm. That you know, as the old as the old account has it, was the first requirement of the mysteries. Mm-hmm. So that's where we need to begin, and from there a lot of possibilities open up. So I think that's what I'd offer as a as a kind of parting. Uh, it's of annoying
0: commentary. <laughs> Not as, annoying. As, as a parting gift, along with the case of Rice-A-Running, right? There
2: we go. Um, <laughs> all right.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, John Michael. I really appreciate it. It's, well, thank
2: you. I've enjoyed being on.
0: It's, it's always fabulous listening to you and and... Um, and it's, it's I, I, PantheaCon is, is not frequent enough, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to
1: say, where, where is the next place we might be able to see you at?
2: Um, let's see, I'm not going to be, that, that I know of, I'm not going to be down in the Bay Area anytime um, before next PantheaCon. Oh, well. I've got stuff going on at various places. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's it's all very much up in the air at this point. Of mm-hmm. course, you know some uh, there there have been there have actually been festivals that were scheduled and then had to be canceled yes. because the money just dropped out. Mm-hmm. But but we'll see if not if not before PantheaCon, then PantheaCon. okay great sounds wonderful
0: thank you so much and I hope you have a splendid afternoon and we'll talk to you soon mm-hmm. to um, Rose red thank, thank you. you. Andrew? Thank you. John Michael, thank you. To our thank listeners, you. thank you. Christoph, our engineer. Um, to all of our listeners, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions for future podcasts, please drop us a note, podcast at tarotpathways.com. And until next time, everybody be well. Bye!
3: Yeah, bye.